Looking to find out more about sport teams and how they promote their teams with hashtag campaigns? The New Media Hut is the podcast for you, as Christian Castro brings you a weekly guest speaker to find out how they came across their favorite sports teams through hashtag campaigns. And now, here's your host, Christian Castro. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 10th episode of Media Hut. I'm your host, Christian Castro, and today's guest speaker will feature chair to the Mass Communications Department, Dr. Joe Dennis. Topics will include hashtag campaigns from the MLB lockout and Dr. Dennis on how he stayed connected and followed the lockout on social media. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Let's play some ball, shall we? Breaking news when it comes to Major League Baseball, where the owners and players have reached a tentative agreement on a new CBA. That's been confirmed by our Jim Bolden. The deal comes on day 99 of the lockout here. It's been a long time. It'll be network reports that opening day will likely be April 7th, not too far away with the deal in place. Free agency is also set to resume in the near future. Hello everyone and welcome back to the 10th episode of Media Hut. I'm your host, Christian Castro. And today joining me in the studio is chair to the MassCom department and associate professor of the MassCom department, Dr. Joe Dennis. How you doing, Joe? Good, Christian. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. And we got an interesting topic to talk to you about today. Topic that was uh, in a lot of baseball fans' mind over the course of this MLB lockout that happened. How did you interact with it on social media and how did you find out about it? Well, I was very curious because, as I mentioned before on a previous episode, I'm a huge White Sox fan. Right. And so going up right until the trading deadline, if or not the trading deadline, it was actually the lockout deadline, I guess back in November, if you recall, there were tons of deals being made back and forth, back and forth, because they were trying to make all these deals before the lockout. So essentially, it acted like a trading deadline, it seemed. It was like Black Friday shopping, but for MLB <laughs> and every baseball fan was excited to see where everybody would end up in it, the course of days. Exactly. And of course, as a White Sox fan, I was really disappointed because we did not get any big names. We did get Kendall Graveman, who was a reliever, um, who actually has been huge for the team so far this young season, but they didn't get anyone. And so I was following baseball closely. So right. that's how I was aware that the lockout was looming because of how quickly free agency was going. How did you, what What were you thinking about that uh, trade? You said uh, a couple trades that disappointed you, but what did you think about that Craig Kimbrell trade? Craig Kimbrell to the Dodgers for... Um, Ryan Pollock to yes. the White Sox. That was a great trade. And I hope it's a good trade for both teams. The White Sox have like five closers on their team already. And Craig Kimbrell just did not pan out to be the dominant reliever he was with the Cubs when the White Sox traded for him last year. So I'm the White Sox needed a right fielder, someone who could contribute in right field and have some pop in the bat and think that worked out well for them and I th- hope it works out well for the Dodgers yeah interesting those that trade could really help out both teams which you really don't see these days usually you see sellers and buyers and it definitely felt like both teams profited profited from that trade but moving on from that there is actually some great hashtags in this uh, MLB lockout we have the baseball isn't boring and it was actually created by Joe Kelly himself the Dodgers relief pitcher oh it was basically a chant to like say 
hey, baseball's not boring. Let's not avoid the talks. Let's not have these 15-minute meetings. They actually met the Players Association and the general managers to, you know, come to agreement. Their meetings were as long as 15 minutes. And that disappointed both the fans and even the players because it's just so frustrating to see like both sides not even trying to really get an agreement. They're just like saying, oh, it's like kind of a college student putting off homework, uh, a five-page paper that's, you know, due next week. And they're like, ah, I still got time type of thing. It was very frustrating. And and Major League Baseball specifically handled this on social media horribly. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think if you wrote a book on what, how not to handle a crisis. I'm currently teaching sports communications and we're teaching about crisis communications within sports. And we're using the lockout, the MLB lockout of a, as kind of a case study in class as how not to handle um, PR. And you know that includes, of course, social media uh, during the lockout. Because if you recall, what's the first thing that Major League Baseball did as soon as you know midnight struck they took all the players pictures off of their website yeah that it was kind of like i don't want to say this like a big uh slap in the face slap in the face there you go (laughs) a big slap in the face and the players were not happy about it they kind of like after that it was kind of like a text from you get and you like i'm not even gonna pay attention to this this is not worth it it was very the way they handled things was very childish but also like they weren't getting anywhere because they were like, I want it this way. We want, we want it this way. And they weren't meeting in the middle type of thing. And it's interesting because even throughout the lockout, a lot of the updates that I was getting, I, I was getting a lot of updates from journalists, from baseball journalists and whatnot. But they were getting updates from a lot of players who would tweet stuff out regarding the discussions. And it was interesting because you had a situation where a lot of where Major League Baseball kind of stood united and they had this one front, the organization of Major League Baseball, the, right. the owners. And there was very little information coming out from that. And then you had the players who, you know, in the hundreds of players, and you had a lot of them were tweeting out information and saying kind of what's going on. And so, Again, going back to what I what I'm teaching in the class, it's like the players right away were doing good work getting kind of fans, anyone who was paying attention to it. And at right. this point, it's only the diehards paying attention. Oh yeah, but they getting them on their side. It was definitely tough. You saw the likes of Max Serger tweeting out like, "I know you guys are frustrated. We're trying to get these meetings handled." Then you had like I mentioned before, the likes of Joe Kelly. He even offered uh, to send a fans autograph personalized items in order to get you know this baseball isn't boring hashtag trending that the account that he made also called baseball isn't boring so like fans can chime in because it felt like MLB was going off also what the fans were going off and not really many fans were caring too too much because it was the off season if this was during right now during April you would see a lot of fans angry on social media tweeting every day and being like hey where's baseball at I miss it I want to you know go out to the ballpark and enjoy a hot dog and watch a game and another thing that he also said was he and I'm quoting him here, he says, give us a reason why baseball isn't boring so we can get this conversation going and hopefully lead a revolution of changing the game of baseball. And I love that quote because it also pays ties to what the White Sox, you know, change the game. So, and what we talked about in episode one. So that was 
it, it just come full circle. It come full circle. Well, and the interesting thing is with the players kind of taking ownership of the conversation with the fans and the MLB either staying silent or saying really stupid things. <laughs> right. <laughs> It, the tide turned. I am old enough to remember very vividly the 1995 or 1994, rather, cancellation of the season and cancellation of the World Series. Right. And I remember that I was a senior in high school and the White Sox in 1993 had won their division. And in 94, when the season ended, I believe they had the best record in the American League, second best record in baseball. You know right. who had the best record in the NL? The Montreal Expos. <laughs> oh, yeah. I With a pitcher, that. their ace pitcher was named Randy Johnson. He kind of went on to big things. Oh, yeah, the big unit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Just, just a little guy. Yeah. But in, in that, I just recall... Um, a lot of people being upset with players, like fans were like, oh, these millionaires, these spoiled brats, you know, they want to make more money. They want to make more money. And what's interesting here, there was a Los Angeles Times poll that was taken near the end of the lockout, right before they agreed. And they asked the question of, do you think, who do you think is negotiating in good faith? Is it either the players or the owners? And in this poll, um, 66% said the players are negotiating in good faith, and only 33% said the owners are negotiating in good faith. So basically, what the players were doing on social media and their messaging to the fans worked because the fans, for the most part, were on their side. Right, because at the end of the day, I saw a lot of things about general managers, you know, only caring about like budgeting and, uh, you know, making their money go up from revenue from the stadium and people coming to the park. I saw a lot of, and I know this because the owners of the Atlanta Braves that own Truist Park, they do this a lot. They're very stingy with their money. It's one of the main reasons we didn't pick up Freddie Freeman mm -hmm. because they didn't want to give up too much of their money. But yeah, it's just players, they also want to get paid early as well because early on in their career, they're most likely to, you know, get these big injuries. I mean, you saw Ronald Acuna last year tear his ACL, and you could have these injuries that can end your career, and then you barely made any money your rookie year. They were making as low as I think it was six hundred and fifty thousand. To it was very, very, very low compared and, to the yeah median exactly. Yeah. And when I think it's important to put the in perspective that when we're talking about $650,000 and you say that's not a lot of money, well, that's for 99% of Americans, that's a lot of money. Right. But you, you know, you got, you can't compare apples to oranges, you that's know, like true. people will often say, oh, well, how come teachers and firefighters aren't making that much? Well, it's a different ball game, no pun intended, because, <laughs> you know, you're not paying ticket, you're not buying tickets to watch firefighters, you know, the baseball is entertainment and exactly. entertainment is, is a money making business like that. And you pay the entertainers. Um, one of the things we, you brought up the Braves and, and I like that analogy because another thing we talked about in our uh, sports communication class is when the Braves, because they are owned by Liberty Media, right. which is a publicly traded company, so we knew that those records, or that when those records came out that show that they made over $500 million in revenue last year and over $100 million in net profit from the Braves, just from the Braves, that's another example. Major League Baseball has always kept 
the books tight. Like yep. they've never, no one's ever shown their books, opened up the books to see how much teams make. But with the Braves being owned by a publicly traded company, we were able to get this insight. And Major League Baseball wasn't ready for that. And they should have, any like good PR person would recognize, hey, you know what? For 29 teams, we don't have to show the books, but the Braves are going to be showing their books. We need to be ready for this. But it seemed like they they were just caught flat-footed. It was very confusing the way they handled that whole Freddie Freeman situation just because they kind of turned the cheek the other, the other day and they offered around the same amount of money to Matt Olson uh, with more years. And it was weird because Freddie ended up getting around the same money because the tax cuts in L.A., so he ended up getting... And the contract was around 168 million, something like that. And then, you know, with tax cuts, the 18 percent, whatever, he cut it down. It's like more actually 150 mil mm-hmm. that he got for six years. So it's like he got the same amount of money if he would have stayed with the Braves. It's very confusing the way GMs and players handle money and their free agents handle money, especially with uh, tax cuts being in different states. Right. And that had to be implemented into this whole situation with the bargaining agreement. It was considered, absolutely, because I, Toronto has faced that problem for a long time, too, because taxes in Canada are significantly higher than in the United States. And so um, th- that's an issue that they wanted to have an equalizer on. And, and I think the way things were brought out, again, it's just the, f- the players who were communicating with their fans on social media, really, uh, the fans really appreciated that, and they were... It's, it appeared to be, listen, if there, there are two sides to every story, but if one side, if there's only one side telling their story, that's the side you're going to believe. Could be a he said, she said situation, definitely for sure. But I mean, the players were not shy to say, hey, this is what we're saying and this is what they're not agreeing to. And the owners were kind of like, oh, this is what we're saying and this is what's happening and they're not agreeing to it. Uh, a lot of he said, she said, and then owners got really, I mean, the players got really mad and they actually took to social media again. And this is me to my other uh, hashtag. They changed the logo of the MLB. I don't know if you know about this. Mm-hmm. And it was called the hashtag new profile pick. And it was just a blank person. Right. And the pictures on Twitter for those listening who want to go on and search out the hashtag new profile pick associated with MLB. And it was a lot of players, you know, going on strike, basically saying, Oh, this is how they see us. They see us as a mm-hmm. faded out player and a basically a robot of entertainment for these fans. It's interesting. And that was, again, another great response that the players did to Major League Baseball, removing, removing all mention of players from their website. Boy, that hit them hard. That hit MLB hard. And, and again, it kind of endeared fans to to players. Um, you know, it's, it's also knowing the moment in... Right now in 2021, 2022, there's all this talk about how this is an employee's market, right? Right. There's uh, jobs out there that employees are demanding things that they haven't demanded before. And so understanding that time we're in, you know, the players did a good job kind of taking advantage of that and saying, hey, we're just like you, our our boss sees us as a, some faceless robot here exactly. that they could just replace. And, um, you know, so it kind of, they, they, in a weird way, made fans feel like, hey, yeah, I'm like that. I can, you know, I can relate to that. Stick it to the man. <laughs> and it really showed because they got the fan support. I mean, they were there was fans showing up at, outside the ballparks 
when there wasn't even games being played. Like, mm-hmm. they were uh, – apparently, they were allowed to train right before spring training because they were getting close to the agreement. So they had fans outside almost at every stadium – uh, you know, chanting and, and doing strikes and having posters even, like, make this agreement happen. Mm-hmm. And, you know, saying that, uh, putting on their posters the different, like, why can't we get this agreement together? What's going on? Right. Blame the owners. And then another person said, blame the players. It was very, like, because the fans were just angry. They just wanted to see games being played. Well, and Major League Baseball would do things, like, we would hear from baseball reporters that, and this is about a week before the deal was finalized, um, but that, oh, there's going to be a deal. There's going to be a deal. We're very close. And then all of a sudden the deadline would pass, and then there was no deal, and Major League Baseball would put out this formal statement saying that the players don't want to uh, make a deal. You know, we're, we want to get the season started. But then players' union players would would – tweet out or would do interviews and say, no, this is what happened. You know, we were ready to sign basically and MLB inserted whatever clause. I think it was in in this instance, I'm thinking of, it was an international draft clause um, that they inserted in. That was something that at the very beginning of negotiations, players said, we don't want an international draft. And then so here, so they stopped talking about it. And here, you're working on a deal, ready to sign on the dotted line, and oop, let's just slide this in, an international draft. And that, you know, caused talks to break down again. It's very interesting, too, because a lot of people might be thinking, why are we still talking about this if it's already settled and done? Well, I mean, it's still an impact today. The way you think about it is spring training was cut short, so a lot of the players are still in spring training mode because they mm-hmm. only got like, I think it was like eight, ten games. It was very short, short spring training. And Pitchers are just not there. I notice a star player from my team, at least, Max Fried and Dansby Swanson. His bat's not been heating up. He's he's hitting like 188 right now, and Max Fried has that ERA very very high for such a high caliber pitcher that he is. Have you noticed any of your White Sox players still adjusting? And oh yeah, ones like, that you don't you don't see struggling, but struggling now because they obviously the spring training would have helped. Right, exactly. Well, our starters are only going four or five innings, which is very unusual. And I think, you know, the one thing that symbolizes everything, Clayton Kershaw, longtime veteran, you know, played one of the best pitchers and definitely one of the best pitchers in the game today. One of the best of all time. Sure thing, Hall Famer. Brought that up because perfect game through seven innings and they remove him because, you know, of the short spring training. They gave Dave Roberts a lot of backlash on social media for that. They were like, why pull him? Why pull him so early? And it's because he's getting old. He's 33 years old, so he doesn't want to risk him getting injured because Mm -hmm. of his pitch count getting high. Yeah, he has a he has a job to look out for the season, not for one know, day, one game. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So it's just very tough. Uh, the players having to adjust with that shortened spring training. Uh, a lot of them still adjusting. A lot of them actually still in spring training mode. I think I saw an interview the other day about a player saying like, it, "The spring training was so short that I don't even know if these games even matter right now because it's so early on in the season that I can heat up mid season and our team can go on a run." Right. So, yeah. It's, it's just crazy. It's I'm just glad baseball's back. Oh yeah. Um, but you know, I think uh, I think we learned a lot social media wise as to how it can be used to your benefit and to your detriment. And it'll be interesting to see when things like this pop up, especially in other leagues, um, how if they learn from baseball's mistakes and and the players' uh, gains. Thank you, Joe. 
I appreciate you having you on this episode. Thank you for joining me. Of course, Chris. That is it for the 10th episode of Media Hut. Join me every Tuesday at 6 p.m. and a new guest speaker as we break down another team and their social media hashtag campaigns. Hope you enjoyed the show, and you'll hear from me real soon. Hut out. Thank you for listening to another episode of Media Hut. Hope you tune in next Tuesday at 6 p.m. here on Media Hut Simple Sports Campaigns for another rendition of great hashtag campaigns surrounding the world of sports with your host, Christian Castro.